Hello. Welcome to Working Wife, Happy Life. It is early 2020. And there's a lot of discussion about at which point, like which day do you stop saying Happy New Year to people? Is it different in a professional setting? Is it different in a personal setting? Uh, I'll admit at this stage in mid-January, it's getting a little awkward, but I feel like since it's a new decade, we could give a little more buffer time. So I'm going to just say Happy New Decade. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Today's episode, we sit down with one of my dear friends and a mentor for, as we discovered throughout the conversation, potentially over 20 years. Uh, And for those of you that don't know Fran, uh, Fran Hauser is a longtime media exec. She's a startup investor, a keynote speaker, and most recently the best-selling author of The Myth of the Nice Girl, Achieving a Career You Love Without Becoming a Person That You Hate. Uh, I loved this book. I literally ran out of highlighter ink while reading it. Uh, had to get a clean copy for Fran to sign because my book was such a mess. Um, it's one of those timeless career advice books that is just helpful at literally any stage of your career. She's she's just such an incredible inspiration. She gives practical advice and has such a humanistic approach. Um, she's also super peaceful. I find myself just mirroring her calmness when we talk. So I love every chat with her, and I know that you will too. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Fran. So you are my inaugural mm. interview, which is so exciting because I feel like we have been on this journey together for like over a decade. I mean, the first time I met you was at that dinner yes. where you were there as a client with Time, and we did like a cooking thing. Oh, that was so much fun. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do remember it. Did we I... cook a pig cheek or something? There was something <laughs> that like right. pretty like, uh, like awful, but yes. also super interesting. Super interesting. Exotic. Yes. But really fun. That was such a fun night. Yeah. So that was at least 10 years ago. Yeah. I think it w- it must have been. In fact, somebody just sent me a picture from 2006 of some coworkers and I, and I was like, oh, my God. I mean, we were babies. Babies. Yeah. Babies. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just been so fun to watch you grow in your career yeah. and now see this platform that you're launching. Yeah, thank Unbelievable. you. Thank you. So fun. And I, I, I remember, you know, through our, our entire kind of relationship and friendship, I always – I always felt like I could reach out to you randomly where there would be months or maybe years at a time that we didn't connect and then I'd shoot you a note, hey, I'm thinking about this or I'm struggling with this and you always responded and I can't imagine that I'm the only person that you have that type Mm -hmm. of relationship with Um, but I just feel like you had a really great way of providing guidance and a steer and, Mm -hmm. you know, an ear in a way that um, just made me feel like you were kind of always there for me. So thank you so oh much. Oh my gosh, my absolute um, pressure. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and I'm so happy you're here with us. Um, so you are coming off this huge success with The Myth of the Nice Girl, best-selling book listed as top business book by Amazon. Um, how has that been? Like, wh- mm. how has the, is it beyond what you expected? Is it what you were hoping for? Is it something that you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's done? Kind of, how is yeah. your emotional state with that? Well, I would definitely say it's beyond what I expected, both in terms of the amount of work that, yeah. that goes into it, not just 
writing the book, but then getting it out into the world, right? The, the, all the talks and the events. And, um, and it's also beyond what I expected in terms of the impact that, mm-hmm. that it's had. It's just so fun to hear from women really all around the world um, who reach out, who have read the book, and who share with me how the book has impacted them. And, you know, whether it's they, they gain the confidence to ask for a raise mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe there was a behavior that was holding them back at work um, that they've been able to really focus on. Um, so for me, that's the joy. It's yeah. just really hearing from these women that the book has had an impact um, on their professional lives, which obviously also seeps into then your whole life, right? right. Your personal life. Um, so it's it's been super exciting. It's almost two years. Came out April of 2018. I've done over a hundred talks. Oh now. my god! Over a hundred talks. That's literally. Insane. I remember putting the marketing plan together and thinking, oh, I'll probably do like between ten and twenty. Yeah. But what I didn't realize was how much um, interest there would be on behalf of companies mm. to go in and speak to women's. ERG. Yes. You know, to, to the women's um, kind of networking groups like yep. I did with Google, with Google and you, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think that was the thing that, that that really kind of surprised me. I kind of like expected that I would be speaking at, con- you know, women's conferences and I've been doing that. But most of the talks have been inside of companies that are really looking to change their, their, culture. their culture. They're looking for a culture that is more psychologically safe, that's more open, that's more transparent. And I think a lot of that stems from the Me Too movement, right? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world and culturally, but because of that, there's there's been a lot of interest for, for me to go in and speak. So it's just been so much fun, like meeting all of these really great people, and it's been a lot of that's, fun. That's amazing, yeah. and it, it sounds exhausting, but I think the, to me the biggest message is that you're giving people permission to be themselves and to do things that feel good to them while also you know succeeding in their career. And I'm just curious, like, how how did this come to be? When was the moment that you, you know, had the chutzpah to say, I'm going to write a book. I can do this. Um, and were there moments of doubt? Was there imposter syndrome? Mm-hmm. Like, how? tell me about the yeah. personal process. Well, you know, I was toying with the idea for a while. Um, I was thinking about, oh, my gosh, this probably goes back to, let's see, 2009, 2010, because I remember I was at People Magazine. Mm-hmm. And... I remember thinking, I really want to write a women's leadership book. I didn't know exactly, though, what aspect of women's leadership, but I had this idea of like, wow, I'm a mentor to so many women. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm giving advice all the time. Um, and so I started thinking about it then. Then I had my first child. So the book kind of went on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And then a year and a half later, second child. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so, and then I would say it was probably like 2014, 2015, where I came back to it again. Yeah. And, you know, I had different ideas. Like one idea was I, I was thinking about writing a book on mentoring, but then I realized that there's so many books out there on mentoring mm-hmm. and I didn't really have a unique, fresh perspective to offer. Yeah. Um, that could fill 200 pages. So it's right? also different being passionate about something versus having enough passion to write a book about it. 
two very different things. It's a things. lot. It's 60,000 words. Oh you know, gosh. think about that yeah. when you're writing, you know, a nonfiction book. Like, it's a lot of content. So yeah. with mentoring, it's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe that's like a blog post and not a book. Right. Um, and so I had a few different ideas like that. And then here, really what happened was sort of the, the, the tipping point was when I did write this blog post actually on nice girls finishing first. Mm-hmm. And I wrote that blog post for Forbes um, back in like it was early 2016. And the response to that blog post was incredible. It ended up being one of the most popular posts in their mentoring oh, series. Awesome. Um, and I started hearing from women all around the world who basically shared with me that, you know, they were struggling with this idea of if I'm too nice at work, I'm thought of as a pushover. But then if I'm too tough, I'm thought of as the B yeah. word. Um, so it's a struggle. It's really a struggle for women in terms of, you know, how, how do I show up at work in a way that's authentic mm-hmm. and effective? Mm-hmm. And it was that moment, Bethany, because I had heard from women in my network that they were struggling with this, but I, I guess I feel like it needed to be validated by women that I didn't know. Once I started hearing from random women that this was something that they were struggling with, um, and I knew that this was something I could write about because it's the way that I lead. I yeah. lead with authenticity. I've yeah. always been the nice girl. Um, I figured out a way to be nice at work and, you know, still be effective. Um, so I, you know, it was sort of this this combination of there's market demand, right? Mm-hmm. There's a need for this book. I think I'm the right person to, to write it. Yeah. And it also, from a timing perspective, it was just before the presidential election yes. um, in 2016. Okay. So there was a lot of dialogue around nasty women, you know, and yeah. then when they go low, we go high. Yeah. And it was very much in the ether. Yeah. So culturally, it was just really the right the right moment. So that was sort of, that was the, the moment where I was like, okay, this is the book that I'm going to write. And it just, it kind of took all of those different pieces, though, to align. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's, it's, I mean, just you saying I am the nice girl and I've managed to succeed in my career. And you've obviously had a very successful career, both with, you know, the publishing and digital media world, as well as on your own. Um, And I'd love to talk about that in a little bit. But I do think, you know, the having known you for as long as I have and having had as many of these types of conversations as we've had, you are one of the most optimistic calming personalities that I've been around just mm-hmm. very positive um, is is that part of a a is that just who you are is that how you were raised is that who you've become as you've done this research you know kind of what how did that become who you are mm. I believe that I've always been that person you know mm-hmm. I've, I've always been um the positive, optimistic, kind, um, empathetic, mm-hmm. calming. Like that that's just that's just really who I am. I have to say, that's my mother. Like when I think about my mother, oh, all of those qualities, that's her. Yeah. You know. So um, you know, she had four kids. I'm the oldest of four. Oh wow. And my parents moved to the United States from Italy when I was two. So I was born in Italy. And okay. then we moved to uh, Westchester County, which is right outside of New York City. And, you know, if you can imagine, I mean, they, they really, they came over. It was typical, you know, no money, um, not speaking the language. Mm-hmm. And they both started small businesses. My 
dad uh, started a stonemasonry and landscaping business, and my mother was a tailor. Oh, wow. And I ended up spending really a, a, a big part of my childhood working with them and helping them and being their translator and being a general manager, really, for their, their wow. businesses. Like, when I was in first grade, I was doing all of the invoicing for my dad's business. That's literally. crazy. Literally. And, I mean, I, I literally remember that um, – you know, I would write like monthly maintenance, like for landscaping, monthly maintenance, $300, and then sales tax, I couldn't multiply. I could add. I was gonna say, the but fact I that couldn't you could multiply. spell maintenance in first grade itself is. <laughs> but my aunt actually created this like table for me. So, like, if it's $300, the sales tax is this amount. Wow. You know, and then I was able to add the two. I mean, literally, I was doing this in first grade. That's so amazing. Um, but my parents, like, just having that time to be not just their child, but also to actually work with them. Yeah. And I think I, I really, uh, a lot of who I am today, a lot of these characteristics that you talk about, are their characteristics that I see in them. Yeah. Right, so they were really my first, first mentors. Sure. So I got a lot of it from them. That's fascinating. I mean, first of all, that whole story is fascinating. I am fascinated by birth order theory. So I'm the youngest of three. Um, and I'm always curious where people fall in terms of their their birth and and kind of how that informs, you know, their interpersonal relationships, their work relationships, you know, how they approach the world. My husband's an only child, so I'm always fascinated by this stuff. Um, and that is, it just makes a ton of sense now, knowing you and knowing that. And I, I am also Italian, but I have a completely different type of approach where I'm much more fiery and I, I feel like I lose my temper and I'm, I'm you know, I just have much uh, less calm in my being than, than, than I notice what you have. Mm. And I think it's such an incredible gift to kind of have that, that approach. So, mm. um, and it comes through it actually comes through in your writing. So when I was reading your book um, and I, knowing you, could hear the words coming out of your mouth, you know, it kind of reads like you speak. But when I spoke about kind of giving permission for these these approaches before, it there's, there's a calmness to the delivery of how you guide or offer tips to the reader. And I think... Um, one story that sticks with me in particular, uh, and you talk about this a lot, is this kind of notion of stop saying I'm sorry. Mm. And particularly for a nice girl, that's something that, you know, I think we're raised and socialized to sugar and spice and just make sure that you're making everyone feel good around you. And so when you can't do something for somebody, you should be sorry for that. Um, tell me about that journey and, and you know, your, your history with that word. So that story actually ended up being one of the most popular stories in the book. Mm. And it was such a little kind of add-on, you know, at the end of the book writing process. So I'm so happy that we covered it because it's clearly something that a lot of women are, are struggling with. So for me, the story is that a colleague of mine actually um, at Time, Inc., called me out on apologizing. And I didn't realize that I was doing it as much as I was. So she just said to me one day, she's like, Fran, you know, you apologize a lot. And I didn't believe her, so I went into my inbox and typed the word sorry into the search field in my inbox, and literally hundreds of emails came back. <laughs> and I started, I just, like, I read. I read every single one of my emails and what I realized was that 
I was apologizing for really trivial things. Like, mm-hmm. it took me more than four hours to get back to someone, you know, or I, I couldn't make an event. And each email started with, I'm so sorry. Mm. And what I found when I was writing the book, because we, you know, looked into some research, is that women do tend to apologize yeah. more than men. And when we're apologizing for things that are trivial, it makes us look weak, right? Yeah. It, 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 we come across in a way that is not strong, is not confident. Well, it's not and only the perception of it, but it's how it makes you feel, right? So you are putting yourself in a position that you've done something wrong, and that's how you're starting that communication. Exactly. That's literally how I was starting the email, is I have done something wrong, right? Yeah. And which, uh, obviously, in hindsight, I look at that, and I'm like, that makes absolutely no sense, right? Yeah. But so in that moment, I knew I had to change. Talk about, like, breaking a habit, right? Yeah. This is probably a habit that I started when I was a young girl, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure. So it took me a while to break it, but a couple things that I did was I actually downloaded a Chrome extension called Just Not Sorry oh, that yeah. alerts you every time you use the word sorry uh-huh. or any kind of speech weakener. And I actually did that for about a year. And it was my little like ding, ding, ding. So I could be thoughtful and reread the sentence and say, I mean, look, some things we should be apologizing for if we've hurt someone or right right right? I mean it's like (laughs) that's a whole like that's like a whole other episode (laughs) but um but I wanted to make sure you know is this really the intention of what I'm trying to say is it is it I'm sorry so I did that I also asked my friend who called me out on apologizing to be my accountability buddy at work like Mm -hmm. because we were in so many meetings together Mm -hmm. um and literally we would sit right next to each other and she would kick me under the table if I was doing it love it so it was something that I just really became determined. It was a habit that I became determined to break. And um, and I feel like I, 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 was a, I was able to do that. Like, And yeah. there are other words. Like the one that I still struggle with is just, especially mm. in an email. Like, like just, I just checking in. check in. Yeah. Just following up. I mean, it really diminishes the rest, the importance of the rest of the sentence. Yes. There's no reason. Yeah. Just drop it. See, yeah. just, just, like... So that's one word that I kind of still struggle with a little bit. And so much of it is just being aware, right? Mm-hmm. Being aware. Like, are there words that you're using that aren't productive? Yeah. They're not making the sentence any stronger. And they're, they're just words that you, should, you, you probably should remove from um, your vocabulary. Right, from your, like, ways. go-to. From now your you're going to make me cognizant of it as we're talking. But I know, I know. It's, you know, it's funny because I do – I feel like every time we meet for coffee, I'm always 10 minutes late. Um, I like to say it's hereditary, but, um, and I'm always cognizant that when I get to you, I'm like, sorry, I'm late. And I'm like, oh, I can't say sorry to Fran, you know, it's just one of those things. But it's, like you said, it's creating that awareness where you're not diminishing your message. You're still being authentic. You're still getting your point across, but you're not putting yourself in a position to either feel or be perceived as less than That's what right. you're actually bringing. That's right, absolutely. And those are the little tips that, um, you know, I think are so important. There's another section of the book around setting boundaries, um, which I know a lot of people struggle with, right? There's boundaries in your personal life. There's boundaries in your professional life. Um, there's boundaries on social media. There's boundaries on eating habits. All of these things that we're trying to figure out, how do I optimize every piece of my life? Um, and that really resonated with me. Is that a topic that you've given a lot of thought to? I have, and I, I continue to give a lot of a lot of thought to that topic. What I found is that Often we say yes 
to things in a very kind of knee-jerk sort of way. Mm -hmm. You know, an email comes in asking us to attend an event or asking us to take on a task, and we automatically say yes. We yeah. just, we don't even like stop to reflect and to think through, be strategic, be intentional about, is this something that that I should be doing? Is this gonna help me develop in my career? Mm -hmm. Is this something that's going to add a lot of value to the company? Is this something that I really enjoy doing, that I want to do? Mm -hmm. um, I Like what's the ROI? Like what's the ROI? What is the ROI for you mm -hmm. in saying yes? And I've been through periods in my career where I'm really bad at that, you know, yeah. where yes, yes, yes. And it's for lots of different reasons. It could be people-pleasing related. It could be FOMO related. Yeah. You know, it could be um, that I actually, I, I like achieving things. I like mm -hmm. saying yes and then being able to check it off the list. Like there are so many different oh, yeah. reasons, so many different reasons. The challenge is that when we take on this load, right, when we take on these tasks um, that are not really valued by the company, mm -hmm. they're not helpful to you in terms of getting promoted, in terms of maybe getting a salary increase, um, in terms of investing in your own personal growth and development, growing your network, right? Yeah. So just just being really thoughtful about like the things that we're saying yes to. Like we, well, you and I were personal. And personal right? too. Personal like, I mean, too. so I, I, I had a um, coach once tell me, figure out what you can say yes to and what you can say no to and put it in a bucket, almost like you picture the old school like folders on the desk, in and out, right? Yes and no, and the, the impact of it is not only have you decided what you'll say yes to or no to, so life isn't necessarily happening at you, but once you put it in that bucket, it's, you're done. It's like once you've found the wedding dress, you don't keep shopping. You're done. So you've just made this decision like, you know, when there's the personal stuff like the kids' school concert that's happening at noon for five minutes, which is not convenient for anyone to get to. I'm going to say no to that one. Right. But I'm going to say yes to the right. breakfast for Thanksgiving yes. or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's like finding those ways where you determine the balance and – or the things that we do sometimes, you know, we're both moms, and the things we do sometimes for our children that I'm certain they don't notice, and is that valuable? Does it make me feel like a better mom? Then, okay, I'll do it. If I'm doing it because I'm expecting them to say when they're 35 and sitting down with their friends, my mom was wonderful because she did X, Y, and Z, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I the one thing, you know, being a mom – uh, I remember when my first child started kindergarten, I was just so over eager to get involved in everything. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to realize that when I look at all the volunteer opportunities at school, the things that are really going to move the needle for me and my kids are the opportunities where I get to spend time with them mm -hmm. in the classroom. Mm. Or maybe it's doing the book fair because they love coming to the book fair and they can right. spend time with me at the book fair. It's not necessarily like the fundraising stuff that you're doing, you know, right. at home that, you know, where, where you're not going to be able, or maybe you're meeting in committees, but you're not spending time with the kids. You're not interacting, right. right. So it's just, it's, for me, that became my filter. Yeah. to decide what I'm going to say yes and no to at school, like for volunteering, right? right? And, and everybody's balance that, is different. Everybody's, ba everybody's balance is different. Yeah. And you can apply this with your girlfriends, with your work, with your, right? Like, when am I going to say yes? When am I going to say yeah. no? And 
the other thing too that you and I have talked a lot about is how men are just so much better at saying no. Yes. Right. Unapologetically. They just say no. They don't over explain. Mm-hmm. They don't write a two paragraph email, <laughs> which is like they don't I can't, worry about it they before worry, they write that two paragraph email. Yeah. And they don't worry about it after, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, no, I can't make it. So I think there's something to learn from that. Mm-hmm. And this is the nice girl speaking, by the way, yeah. right? Like it's still, you can say no in a nice way. Right. Um, and I, I really believe that this is something we all have to get better at doing because yeah. I have so many friends that, girlfriends especially, that are burnt out right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just too much. You know, they're not happy. They're very emotional. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, they, they feel like they're not getting anything right, yes. any part of their life. Um, they feel very out of sync. So a lot of that goes back to like, okay, where am I going to spend my time? Like knowing what are you protecting when you're setting boundaries? Mm-hmm. You know, what are the things that really move the needle for you and right. for your family right. and for the company? What are those things? Those are the things that you are going to want to protect right. and set boundaries around. And also, what are the things that are really for you, right? Versus what, you know, I'm being told I have to do because that's what looks good on Pinterest when it's school snack day. And and my kids are older, so I'm a, a bit beyond some of this stuff in terms of the school involvement, especially with my oldest, who won't even let me get near the school when I drop him off in the morning. <laughs> But it's, it's, there's something to this pressure of perfectionism, this pressure of what, you know, what we should be involved with, what we should be saying yes to. And, you know, again, what I think is so important about your message is this permission that if we start to all become so uniform, the world will get a lot less interesting. We will continue to be a lot less happy. Um, you know, women suffer from mental health issues at a rate of two times that of men, which I'm guessing is probably just an underreported issue that a lot of men are not seeking the mental health that they need mm-hmm. because of the stigma surrounded it. But again, that's another episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that mm-hmm. it's really important to allow ourselves this, this time to determine Going back to what is the ROI for me? What is important to me? Not what I'm told is important. That's right. And and taking that time. Sometimes it's two minutes. Sometimes it's just reading an email. And instead of just responding, yes, I'll do this. It's taking a couple of minutes mm-hmm. and thinking about, like, what does this really mean if I say yes to this? Because yeah. here's the other thing. Everything always ends up taking longer than you think it's going to take. <laughs> so, particularly writing a book, right? Particularly writing a book, <laughs> right? But you you know this, right? I mean, yeah. everything, it's like it just – so you think this this could be something that's only 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It can end up being two hours. And, you know, time is really precious. And I'm yeah. just all about how do we create more space in our calendars mm-hmm. so that we're not in autopilot. Like I, I love talking about recurring meetings at work because mm-hmm. I feel like we all have these recurring meetings that we sit in that often they're not productive. Mm-mm. And even just asking like, is this something that we need to meet on every single week? You know, if it's a right. new product launch or maybe it's, I don't know, some, you know, culture initiative or cost cutting. But is this something that we need to meet on every week where everybody just goes around the room and gives an update on Like, so just challenge, like when you look at your calendar and you look at the meetings that you're in, Mm -hmm. really 
challenging yourself. Like, is this the best use of my time? Yeah. Is it the best use of the team's time? Yeah. Because there's just nothing more important, I believe, than giving people time back so that they can spend that time creating and really, you know, doing things that make an impact um, on the company, on the world, uh, for themselves, for their family. Like, we, none of us have enough time. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we also, as leaders, and, and certainly both of us being at later stage or mid stage of our careers, I guess, I find so often when I'm in one of those meetings where it's just not valuable and you know it's a waste of people's time and nothing's getting taken care of, that if you can just step up and say it for the room, just say, you know what, this is not productive or this could have been an email, not a meeting, you will have, particularly women, so grateful that somebody, you know, who has a little bit more or less to lose, I guess, in some ways, mm-hmm. has made that statement that they're all thinking. And oh, that you will be is a like hero. leadership. That's leadership. And yeah. you'll be a hero because you are absolutely expressing something that everyone is thinking. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're later stage in your career, right? You have right. a little bit more gravitas. You have a little bit more political capital. Um, frankly, you're just more confident. You have yes. more of a track record. It's like, what do I have to lose? Yep. So I do think that we have a responsibility as leaders to step up and make those kinds of suggestions yes. because think about the time if you have 20 people in that meeting that's 20 hours I mean, it's just 20 so expensive hours. it's so expensive that's one of my things I'm always like this is a very expensive meeting right now very expensive yep right so I, I talk about how when I was at time I had um I had eight direct reports at one point and I was doing one-on-one meetings, you know, with, with each of them every single week. Mm. Um, and while from a relationship perspective, I loved spending, you know, loved spending time with them. But I also found that those meetings were sort of like a regurgitation of, oh, here's what's on my to-do list and here's how I'm doing on each thing. And yeah. I just felt like, you know, I trust you. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you're on top of all of this. And I decided I don't really need to do these weekly check-ins that are individual, we could instead just do a staff meeting. Yeah. Um, so eight hours got shrunk down to one hour. Oh, that's amazing. And it's what an I said, to, it's an entire day. And what I said to everybody is, you know, guys, look, if there's a really big opportunity that you want to talk about, um, or if there's a big obstacle, you know, that's in your way, get on my calendar, you mm-hmm. know, and we'll spend 30 minutes or whatever, whatever time we need specifically focused on that. Mm-hmm. That's productive. Yes. Versus 100%. just sitting there listening to you go through your to-do list. Right. And I think it was also like a sigh of relief for them. Oh, because totally. guess what? It wasn't just an hour for them because they had to prepare yeah. for their meeting with oh, me. Oh, there's nothing like going into one-on-one being like, oh, my God, what am I going to What am about? I going to talk about? <laughs> and then like, oh, and then the next steps and the follow-up yeah. from the meeting. So it's two hours. Now, on the flip side, with therapy, I feel like when you're going into a therapy session and you don't know what you're going to talk about, they tend to be the best sessions ever. I agree. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But at work, it's like the angst and like all this stuff. And and it uh, morale, too. Like, why are we going through these motions? Like, we're human and we don't need to be kind of stuck in these little boxes, in these walls, in these habits. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think I I would love to hear a bit more because you've had such a variety of of roles in your career, both in in startups and in established companies and probably being at some of those companies when they went from startup to established. Um, What are some of like the milestone 
moments in your career, like thinking of your your mid to late 20s and then what was your 30s like and and on, kind of how you showed up as Mm -hmm. a professional and as an individual? Well, I would say my first milestone moment was when I left Coca-Cola to Mm. go to Movie Phone because (laughs) Coca-Cola was like literally the world's most admired company. Yeah. I was leaving that company to go to this early stage, you know, at the time it was 777 film. Oh my gosh. It was 1997, I want to say. And Movie Phone was just about to like go online and sell you know, movie tickets for the first time were going to be sold online. And I remember um, the the reason why it was so appealing to me to, to go to a company like Movie Phone was when I was, a, you know, at Coke, I was really in a financial role. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to become more of a general manager. I kind of, I saw myself like running a business. And I felt like if I stay at Coke, which is this huge company, it's really hard to not be seen as the financial person and yeah. you know maybe to kind of like bounce around and try marketing or operations or so I thought you know if I go to an early stage company there's just going to be more flexibility and it's a little bit more kind of like roll up your sleeves and get involved you know in everything yeah and I remember having this conversation with the founders of movie phone and saying that like look if I leave coke it's going to be because I want exposure to different areas like I'll come in as the SVP of finance to right. movie phone but I, I really want to get exposure to different areas because eventually I want to be running a business. And they were able to do that for me. That's you awesome. You know, and yeah. I think people at Coke thought I was crazy. I remember the CFO of the Coca-Cola company calling me and saying, where are you going? I don't even know this company that you're going to. And yeah. if you stay at Coke, you know, you can be the CFO one day. And um, and I just remember it was really, um, it was really a, a difficult conversation because – I just remember thinking, wow, I'm leaving this very stable mm-hmm. situation, you know, working for this company that's very well known, that's very respected, that looks great on my resume, that, you know, I can see a very clear path to CFO. Yeah. And going to this kind of startup where I feel good about the founders, I liked the, you know, kind of my vibe with them. Um, but it was scary. It's I mean, risky. it was really, yeah. really scary and really, really risky. But I also felt like, you know, I was in my late 20s. I'm like, if I'm going to take a ride, I wasn't, you know, wasn't, um, I didn't have kids yet. Like, I I just felt like this is the time. Like, if I'm going to take a big risk. Yeah. And like, what's the worst case scenario, right? What's the worst thing that could happen? It doesn't work out. I'm sure I could get go back to like Coke or like a different right company. And it was, you know, it was amazing. It was the best thing I could have done. It's such a great question to ask yourself. Right? Like, what, what is the worst that's going to happen? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Yeah. I mean, really think about what is the worst possible thing that could happen, and can I live with that, mm-hmm. right? Can I live with that? Am I going to be okay if that happens? Right. And I really felt like, look, I have a great support system, family, yeah. friends. So I, you know, I'm really glad I did it. Movie Phone ended up getting acquired by AOL, um, and this was before the dot-com bust, mm-hmm. so like got out just in time. And the founders ended up retiring, and I ended up running Movie Phone as a division of AOL. Hmm. And that really got me into media, you know. Maybe and it that's got, where we met. I wonder if we met. I was I was, I was running the through. AOL account, so that's maybe how we met. How I think funny. you're right. I think you're right. Oh it wasn't God. timing. I think it was when I was at AOL. 
Well, you know you've known each other a long time when you're talking about so two that's like twenty years that are ago. Under, yeah, so, but you know, but if I hadn't made that move, it just, it wouldn't have gotten me into general management. It wouldn't mm-hmm. have gotten me into media. Um, so many great opportunities started opening up because yeah. of that. And I think, so I think that was a big moment. The other moment that was also, you know, pivotal for me was launching people.com at yeah. Time Inc. Because um, really taking a legacy print brand yeah, and Still. transforming it digitally yeah right I mean really we people.com when I first started working on people.com I think we had five people working on that website and in three years we were at 90 people working on that website and it was one of the 10 most profitable businesses at the company out of 200 businesses after three years good for you so what was amazing about that the reason I like talking about that is because really think about the value that you're creating for the company that you work or whether you know if you work for yourself I mean being able to say that I was part of that team Mm -hmm. that digitally transformed this legacy brand and created a lot of ROI for the company right and I think I I started becoming known for that yeah and that's when you know then I was given in style and entertainment weekly and I just kept taking on more and more brands um but it's like, what do you want to be known for? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and really accomplishing something. Like yeah. I, I speak to a lot of young founders who are have gotten so much press attention and so much social media attention. And I say to them, but they haven't really accomplished anything yet. It's mm-hmm. kind of fascinating, you know, like that's the world that we I live in. I was gonna now. say that's the world that we live on. You can have these platforms being built that are not known about by anybody, and then you can have these huge social media presence where it's like, but where is the foundation? Where's the foundation? And and I really do, I give them the advice. Like, um, you need to be known for something. Like you need yeah. to actually accomplish something. Right. Something that you can be really proud of. That you can be known as the person who built that yeah. or transformed that. Or do you know like so it's not just about I don't want to say it's smoke and mirrors, but it's it's there needs to be substance. There needs to be some meat. It can't right. you're you're not gonna be able to get through your whole entire career without actually accomplishing something. This well, sounds was, so basic, right? But, but I was I was thinking before when you were talking about your move from Coca-Cola too is is it sounds like it was a very intentional thing of this is what I want to achieve and and sometimes that intention becomes clear in hindsight versus at the time. Well, it sounds like you very specifically were like this is the, the yeah. what I'm looking for. Um, you know, I look at the moves in my career and sometimes I'm like, oh, that's an interesting story. I'm not sure I necessarily thought about it as intentionally as it seems now. Right. And so right. until you have that perspective, it's really hard to, you know, kind of get the, the authenticity or the, the, the trust that you deserve if you haven't kind of gone through the experience. Deserve is a weird word, but you know yeah, what I mean. I, yeah. No, I totally believe that. You know, I, I always say, like, the more experiences that you have, like, the more you put yourself out there, the more you try, you know, try different things. Um, I just feel like the, the more you do that, truthfully, the more failures you're going to have, which is mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. because everybody That's, says you learn the most from your failures. You do. One thousand percent. Yes. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so I think that's really positive. And then the other thing, too, is, you know, when you talk about intuition and gut, 
your gut and your intuition gets stronger with the more experiences that you yes. have, right? It takes a lifetime to give you wisdom, yes. right? Like that whole thing. I, I really believe that. I think about when I first started in my career, I, I didn't have an informed gut, right? Because right. I was just starting. Right. Um, right. You have no litmus yet. You're still trying to like right? formulate. You're yeah. formulating, you're testing, you're trying. Yeah. Whereas I do think now, because we're in middle, late, you know, later stages of our career, you can go with your gut a, yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. And you're less, I mean, it's just the, the age old story of women as they age too, and, and I guess men too, but you just become more sure of yourself and more sure of the things that you're saying and doing. And I think that is um, such a relief. It's it just so such a relief to just have those moments where you're like, I just don't give a shit. And feeling like you don't have to care or you don't have yeah. to prove anything. Like, yes. Because, you know, you kind of feel like, you know, <laughs> I've already proven myself, right? Yeah. I have to say, um, Brene Brown, mm-hmm. I heard her speak at oh, a conference for a women yeah. um, recently. And she gave the most amazing talk about um, just being okay with, not caring you don't mm-hmm. have to care about everything yeah by the way this goes back to setting boundaries yes totally right like totally you don't it's okay to say you know what I don't really care about that yeah that's not something that's important to me yes right and and so the and I do believe the older you get the, the more confident you can and the, and, and the less that people expect from you it, it's almost like I, I had somebody describe it to me once where as you age you know, the, the check boxes are getting cleared off, right? You, yeah. you probably know who your partner is going to be. You get to our age, you know how many children you're going to have. You know where you're going to live. You know, there's some surprise. There's just fewer surprises or fewer unknowns. And there's, you know, certainly there can be a, a monotony or if you're not happy, that's unfortunate when those things start to close off. But there's also like, yeah, I got this whole foundation of, of life and things that are where they should be. And so this is the stuff that I'm just like, I just shave it off. I don't need it. Right. Um, right. And it, it's a really powerful thing. But harnessing how you do that and, and finding a way if we can get particularly women into that space even earlier yes. is yes. such a relief, particularly yes. in your like 30s when yes. you're starting your families and you feel like you're pulled in a million different directions. Uh, and that's where I think your book really comes in and your message mm. really comes in about you know, during these changes, how do I get into a faster set of that foundation? Yeah, no, it's, it's such a great, it's such a great point. And sometimes I do think that, um, we were talking about this earlier. It takes, like for me, it took having my first child Mm -hmm. to really get clear about boundaries and how I work and how I operate and like setting those boundaries. And I wish that I had focused on it even earlier Mm -hmm. in my career, you know, like just this idea of like, because obviously after I had my child, I had to make sure that I was creating the time and space Mm -hmm. for him, right? right? And I was getting out at a good time and I wasn't staying too late and all of that. But I wish that I had applied that to myself even earlier, earlier. because I've done a little bit more self-care, you know, like given myself just more time to take care of myself or spend time with girlfriends or right as opposed to like going all in on the job right and you know like anything there's ups and downs with that there were probably periods where I was better at self-care and 
spending time with my girlfriends and my partner and um but then there were other periods where I was just like all in all, yeah. professionally yeah. you know so it's it setting thinking about how you want to show up thinking about how you want to set boundaries yeah. um it's never too early to start creating good habits yeah. around those things you're you're reminding me of a story of a friend <laughs> of mine who um she's the breadwinner in her family and she runs an ad agency and they were running a campaign they were at work very late at night and a younger guy on her team said to her you know how how many more late nights are we going to have this week and she was like I, I you know we have a campaign we're trying to get this out I don't know and he said to her <laughs> had a good laugh he said well, you know, it's it's easier for you because you have kids and my wife is just home by herself. And my <laughs> we had a that's really good laugh about this. But we had this moment. Priceless. She's like if she's bored, she could go home and help my husband with my two children. Oh my god, that's awesome. But now I'm thinking about it from his uh-huh. perspective and it is kind of a lovely thing where, you know, men obviously don't have as hard a time setting boundaries but a lovely thing that he is setting those boundaries for himself this early in his career but the the way that it came across it's like oh really is she just sitting there having dinner watching tv that sounds awful you know it was so great that's great classic (laughs) um well thank you so much this has been fantastic to spend the morning with you and uh i look forward to all that you do and i hope that you come back and join us again bethany this was amazing congratulations on this thank you So it's such an honor to be your first guest. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is going to be a really unique and thought-provoking ride for all of us. I'm so excited to explore the many facets of what it means to be a breadwinning woman with you. There's a ton of conversations coming up that are going to give you inspiration and leave you feeling hopeful and understood. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast and hit the subscribe button. And please leave us a review to give us some direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. Until next time, 